But uh, I'm really happy to, to be here uh, and uh, speak before this uh, distinguished group. So many issues to talk about. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm not going to elaborate on the helicopter that landed on the Capitol yesterday, but I just happened to be there uh, when it happened, and it just sort of, you know, not a terrorist threat, but, you know, it, it illustrates the vulnerabilities that we have. Uh, so close to, to home, uh, right here. Um, as Nick mentioned, uh, we marked up uh, yesterday and passed unanimously the uh, cybersecurity bill. Um, and as you also mentioned, it doesn't get a lot of attention, uh, but it should, because it's one of the most one of the more important issues. People say, "What keeps you up at night?" Well, ISIS, Al Qaeda. My five teenagers, uh, but cyber is uh, one of those things out there that can cause, um, you know, the probability is, is high and the, the damage, severe consequences is very high as well in terms of what can be done. We have great offensive capability to shut things down. So does Russia, so does China. Iran is demonstrating great capability. Iran shut down 30,000 hard drives with Saudi Aramco simultaneously, hitting our financial sector on a daily basis. Um, what this bill does, you know, last Congress were building on, on the success we had to authorize uh, the Department of Homeland Security cyber security operations uh, that Bush put uh, in place under a presidential directive. And so, it's working, but they didn't have the liability protections needed to have full participation by the private sector. Uh, so in this bill, it's really a liability protection bill. We afford liability protection to anyone, any company, member, voluntarily who wants to participate with the NCIC, as it's called, uh, to share malicious code, threat signatures, uh, cyber information with the federal government and in turn we share information with them and most importantly <clears throat> because about 85 percent of this threat information resides in the private sector we allow them to share private to private and give them liability protection we think this will be transformational in terms of defending our networks in the private sector and also in the federal government which i would argue is very vulnerable i mean Every week, we're learning about some new attack. You know, it took an attack on Hollywood with Sony to really get the attention of the American people. That was a very destructive attack by North Korea, shutting down in a very destructive way uh, their hard drives. Uh, we saw Anthem compromise 80 million private healthcare records. Blue Cross Blue Shield hacked into Target, Home Depot, not to mention the espionage that's taken place from China, uh, defense contract, tractors and blueprints of fighter planes, um, and the list goes on and on. Uh, so we have marked that bill up. It's scheduled to be on the floor next week. Um, and again, I, it doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but honestly it should because it's one of, one of the more important threats that uh, I see. And my job, simplistically, is to identify threats outside the United States and prevent them from coming in. And cyber can
can be conducted anywhere in the world anonymously. We see the cyber jihadist movement growing. Their intent is very high. They would love to uh, take things down. Uh, their capability, fortunately, at this point is low, but when that capability <coughs> rises, um, you know, you got the, the theft of intellectual property, espionage, but then it's a cyber warfare piece that really does keep me out because that capability could shut down the power grids in the Northeast, for instance, oil and gas sector, uh, shut down our financial institutions. Uh, so this bill, I think, will go a long ways uh, to protecting the nation from that kind of, of attack. Uh, I know my time's kind of limited. We want to do a Q&A, but I, I do want to touch on also ISIS. You know, it wasn't, uh, I was briefed on ISIS probably a year and a half ago before it hit the news, and it, it has escalated uh, over time. It was really the product of, of a couple of uh, errors of judgment. There's sort of a false narrative that uh, Al Qaeda is on the run. And, um, you know, I was at Fort Hood last week uh, awarding the Purple Hearts to the 12 soldiers who were, ki were killed by Major Hassan, who was talking to Anwar al Awlaki in Yemen, asking for permission to do what he did. And yet that was downplayed as workplace violence. Benghazi was blamed on a video, Al-Qaeda was on the run. After the killing of Bin Laden, this was, was supposed to be over because that was the narrative. Iraq, Afghanistan, Guantanamo. But it's not, unfortunately. I wish it was, but it's not over. And in Iraq, we were so fast to pull out without a status of forces agreement, like we had in Germany after World War II, Japan, Korea. Um, so fast to pull out. We didn't have a status of forces agreement, no residual force, and at the same time, Maliki is the political malfeasance on his part, not to negotiate with the Sunni tribes, but rather purge them. And Ms. Clint Clinton visited Baghdad one time. I don't know with Connelly's right. She said, Ms. Clinton went to Baghdad one time for three hours. The convergence of those two errors imploded Iraq and created ISIS. Al-Baghdadi, you know, was part of AQI, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, the genesis of what is modern-day uh, ISIS. Everybody seen the movie American Sniper. That's what uh, Chris Kyle is fighting, and that's a threat we face today. It wasn't until the beheadings occurred that the American people woke up to the fact that this narrative is a false narrative that you know what? The threat is still real. It, it's not just—it's not just in Syria, in Iraq. This radical Islamist movement—and you have to call it that because that's what it is. If you ask them what it is, they'll tell you that's what it is. Is spreading like a spider web, like a wildfire, across northern Africa and the Middle East. You know, we had to pull out of our embassy in Yemen, and there goes our intelligence. We pulled out of Libya. There goes our intelligence there. And nation after nation, where there's a power vacuum, the terrorists prey on that. That's where they breed. And this threat is growing, not diminishing. And as that grows overseas, so too does the threat to the homeland. I appointed John Katko, a former AUSA like myself, for 20 years. Uh, 
uh, really talented. And then Martha McSally, you know, the first female combat uh, uh, pilot, you know, on my committee. Uh, I'm just so proud to have these two stars, you know, on my committee. But I appointed John to head up a task force to study two issues, foreign fighters and, and CVE, countering violent extremists, the homegrown radicalization. I was at a, a conference yesterday, a round table, talking about the Boston bombing. Yesterday was the second year anniversary of the Boston bombing. Uh, Tamerlan radicalized over the internet, but he also traveled to Dagestan and got radicalized by some pretty pretty bad people, the, the Chechen rebels. Uh, I remember being on Face of Nation and Bob Schieffer said, what do you want to talk about? I said, I want to explain to the American people who these, these two brothers are, where they came from. The Chechen rebels, nobody knows who they are, most Americans, but I wanted to explain that, that the Chechen rebels killed a constituent son of mine in Fallujah. They fight alongside Al-Qaeda. But the radicalization that took place with Mr. Tamerlan, when he came back, after all the flags went up, the Russians warned us, we missed it, he came back, got kicked out of his mosque, and then radicalized over the internet. You look at his website postings, black flags of Corazon, very radical postings. That's the kind of thing that we need to stop. It's very hard to do. Major Hassan radicalized over the internet, communicated with Anwar Alaki. Very difficult to stop these from occurring, but John is heading up the investigation into the two issues, and we'll have lead a delegation over to the Middle East to and Turkey, which is really the gateway for the foreign fighters travel. Remember, ISIS is 50,000 and growing. These strikes have not diminished their capability. As Martha will tell you, the Air Force is so limited because the rules of engagement is zero collateral damage, we cannot be successful with those kind of rules. We have a policy of containment not to destroy and defeat ISIS. So they have actually grown in numbers in recruiting uh, since the strikes. It's not like bin Laden with caves and you know, couriers. And this is the most sophisticated social media campaign we've ever seen. You know, showing us the beheadings, the Jordanian pilot being lit up on fire in a cage, and it actually is, is drawing more recruits. So 50,000 ISIS are growing, 30,000 of those are foreign fighters from all over the world, 5,000 have Western passports, and hundreds of Americans have traveled to the region. <clears throat> Many have returned, and we are monitoring them. But that's just who we know. As I mentioned, we've had to pull out so much and disengage from the region and become so isolationist that we don't have a human footprint and capability to determine who, who is there. These numbers, in my judgment, are very deflated. I think the numbers are much higher. Uh, and that is of great concern to me as a chairman of Homeland Security, is who is in this country already. And even if you haven't traveled to the region and back, the social media campaign is so intense and so viral globally that you don't even have to do that. You can radicalize in your basement like Tamil did and pull off a terrorist attack. Um, so these are uh, very, very uh, important issues that we're dealing with. 
we don't have we don't have a lead agency in the federal government. We don't have a line item uh, in the budget to deal with this issue. Um, and I think our report is going to be very revealing about what we need to do to combat this. And finally, we need to have better community engagement with the Muslim community in the United States. You know, I, I used to do that when I was a federal prosecutor, and John probably did too. But, you know, we'd walk into a mosque with an FBI agent. It's a little chilling. I mean, they're not going to, they don't really want to talk to somebody like me or the FBI, but I think, I think there are people in the community that we can deploy to the mosque and the Muslim community to identify those who are radicalizing, as Tamerlan did when he was kicked out of his mosque. And Hassan, we knew about, and Fort Hood was not warned about him, unfortunately. Um, so these are kind of the grave issues of the day. I always like to end on it. You know, I always think that, uh, I do have a sense of humor, but when I'm on television, everybody's like, yeah, you seem like, you're so grim. You know, you talk about <laughs> death and destruction all the time. <coughs> That's kind of my job. <clears throat> and I do like to end on a positive note. My dad was a bombardier on a, on a B-17 in World War II, and um, he was part of the air campaign in the D-Day invasion, Battle of the Bulge, and we're going to have the opportunity to go to Normandy on our trip, but no. Uh, but I remember when I was in Iraq, and I, the soldiers pointed out Abraham's house to me, and I just uh, was really kind of blown away. I, I thought, you know, this is the this is the house where the three main major religions came out of. It won't happen in my life. It's a, this is a war of ideology. At the end of the day, and we can do drone strikes and kill them, but at the end of the day, it's a war of ideology. Our ideas are, are better. They're very uh, backwards. Uh, and at the end of the day, we win this war of ideology. But I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime, but I want it to happen in, in my children's lifetime. And looking at that house, to see the three major religions coexist peacefully uh, under the house of Abraham, I think, is, is the goal yeah, that we have. And so uh, with that, I know we've got a, a Q&A session coming up, but I just want to thank you. <laughs> Uh, for allowing me uh, the opportunity to speak to you uh, this morning. Thank you. So, uh, if we could get our other two guests up here, and then you can introduce them, Mr. Chairman, and then have each of them give a uh, uh, some brief remarks as to what they're doing in, the, in their subcommittees. And... I think I've already introduced him, but um, you can do it again. <laughs> so uh, John is uh, Catco, New York. Um, comes from a um, both of these. Uh, they come from competitive districts, um, but they are really star players on my team. And uh, you know, John, as I mentioned, was a federal prosecutor for 20 years. Great investigative experience which is why I appointed him to, to lead these, uh, the task force. Uh, Martha uh, chairs the uh, subcommittee on, on, uh, on the uh, transportation, and she um, comes from a border state. Um, I led a delegation of 25 members, the largest uh, delegation to ever go down to the border. We went to Martha's district, went, met with her ranchers who were in town yesterday, and. Um, you know, it's, it's good for members to see 
the border because a lot of these members from places uh, that have never, aren't even close to the border, think that the answer is a 30-foot concrete wall. Uh, when you go down there, you realize the ranchers certainly don't want that. And they realize that technology uh, is, is really the answer to getting operational control of the board. She's a real expert on that, a real leader. Uh, I think won by, what, 150 votes? 67. Sorry, 67 <laughs> votes. <laughs> Don't take those last 17 votes away from me. <laughs> and her predecessor, Ron Barber, was on the committee, but she is just a, a, such, such a great addition to the team. And first female combat pilot in the United States history, climbed the Mount Kilimanjaro, um, actually, this is, if you don't mind me telling the story, uh, defied the Department of Defense when they asked her to wear a burqa because she thought that was not necessary and actually filed a lawsuit against Donald Rumsfeld and won. <laughs> and uh, she is tough. tough. And he donated to my campaign. Serious, <laughs> <laughs> he did. It's pretty cool. So I'll stop talking, but these, uh, these are... After I kicked his butt, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> these are two real uh, superstars on the committee. So, yeah, yeah, just a round of applause for these two. Right? Well, I'll just give a quick introduction to follow up on. First of all, thank thank you for your comments, and I appreciate it. And uh, having a chairman of a subcommittee, chairman of a committee like Homeland Security, who empowers young uh, young uh, representatives like Martha and myself. Uh, it's really inspiring, and uh, I'll, I'll speak in a moment about what I've learned already from that empowerment. But uh, I started out my career as a federal prosecutor on the southwest border, and I was uh, prosecuting cartel-level drug traffickers there and in Puerto Rico in the last 16 years as an organized crime prosecutor in Syracuse, New York, which covered a 32-county area. So I have a lot of investigatory skills that suit me well with the Homeland Security. And I absolutely love it. I'm on transportation and infrastructure as well, but I'm just having a ball with Homeland Security. And I just want to touch one thing I learned very quickly. Uh, I echo all the sentiments about the problems we have with terrorism, and it's a tall task we have, but I'm also heartened by the fact that there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work at the counterterrorism centers and uh, much more collaborative work than I uh, saw uh, when I was an organized crime prosecutor because Federal agencies didn't always get along so well, and they're doing a lot better now, and I think necessity is mother invention, and they really are working together well. But I want to talk to one thing I learned about uh, being a representative early on was uh, the chairman gave me a uh, chair of the Transportation Security Subcommittee, which included a TSA, and uh, early on it became readily apparent when I was uh, uh, getting ready to work on that committee that airports across the nation have a gigantic security lapse. And when you talk about the radicalization over the internet, I just, you know, the prime fear is one of these workers, that one of the tens of thousands of workers at the airports was disgruntled about something, could do something very bad. And I realized that none of them were getting screened when they go into work every day. They could access the security areas at the airport, even on the rough days. Uh, the screening process is lax at best. Atlanta, for example, had 64 different entry points for employees, and they weren't getting screened. It's pretty scary. It all came to light because a, a fellow from Atlanta uh, got caught carrying a backpack with 16 gun, uh, loaded guns on an airplane, getting off an airplane in New York, two of which were automatic weapons, and all of them loaded. And he said that was his 10th trip he took doing that, and found out that a low-level employee in Atlanta 
would carry the backpacks in a secure area, give them the backpack, and the guy would uh, get on the plane. And uh, I, that's how the whole thing happened. So I said, well, let's call a subcommittee hearing and let's investigate that. And I thought that they were going to come to me and it would be a big brawl because I had representatives from the airlines, from the, from the airport associations, and thought that, no, we don't need any changes. And this is what I learned. Simply by calling and identifying the right issue and calling a hearing on it, we made a gigantic change in the way security is done nationwide at airports. Because they came not to fight us, they came to capitulate. And almost uh, they came with plans presenting us as to what they want to do to change. And even before we come back, we have a follow-up hearing. They formed a, we formed a committee, commission. This commission results had just been uh, come out, and we're going to fix that hole. And we also found out, for example, Atlanta's going from 64 entry points to four, and 100% screening, no access to their employees outside of work hours. So it was a very valuable lesson for me that if you do your homework and your staff does your homework, and I have a wonderful staff right here, Kyle, where are you? Kyle is doing a terrific job in that committee for me. Um, you can really make change. So you have to identify the right issues and not just, this can't be fluff, but when you identify the right issues, you can make change simply having the hearing and we're gonna do that. And of course, we'll have some legislation coming out of that, but there's a lot to learn. But uh, when you have someone like Mr. McCall who empowers us and we're hungry and Martha and I are indeed hungry and we become fast friends because we, we're very similar ilk and uh, uh, it, it's really inspiring. And we're doing good work on the committee and I, I uh, it's scary, but at the same time, uh, we're doing everything we can to, to make, make this country as safe as it possibly can be. So with that, I want to introduce you to one of my really true buddies in Congress. We, we get along very well, and uh, um, it's an honor to sit here with her, uh, sit here with her and uh, it's kind of humbling because she's a nut, being a fire pilot. But, so. I fought bad guys and I got threats once in a while, but she's crazy. And, uh, <laughs> in a good way, right? So, thank you. Yeah, thanks, John. I, I, and I agree. Uh, people ask all the time, I, you know, since our 101st day in office, uh, like, it's like, uh, you know, freshman in high school, like, who are your friends? What clique are you in? Or whatever. And I'm, I'm constantly naming uh, John Katko, Will Hurd, uh, another member of our committee, you know, former CIA operative, just great Americans uh, here, you know, doing, uh, doing good work, smart, committed, uh, in tough seats, uh, but uh, it's really great to be joined uh, by individuals like uh, John and, uh, and also Will Hurd. And, and I hope you guys get to meet him uh, as well. Uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate working for Chairman McCall. Uh, it's a great opportunity to be on the Homeland Security Committee, great opportunity to be given the subcommittee chair. I mean, that's really a big deal as a freshman, and so uh, I echo John's comments. Uh, I appreciate being empowered and having the opportunity to serve and make a difference. Uh, you know, being on Homeland Security is the right fit for my background. I've been doing national security for 30 years since uh, the day I left for the Air Force Academy with my combat boots and bras over my shoulders. That's what we showed up with. <laughs> um, to go to basic training, uh, you know, 26 years retiring as a colonel. A uh, couple master's degrees on the issue and uh, not just flying in combat but also operational positions at the senior level. Um, as a colonel I was running our counterterrorism operations in Africa at US Africa Command just as an example so uh, I really saw up close uh, how uh, flawed some of our policies have been and how we've watched these um, Al-Qaeda affiliates and Islamist extremists grow and metastasize all over the world I mean, under, under our watch, uh, I don't want to get sidetracked on this, but under our watch, we, we watched Al-Shabaab, uh, AQIM, West Africa, Boko Haram. I mean, they were continuing to take advantage of ungoverned spaces. 
uh, kidnapping uh, AQIM, kidnapping Westerners in order to you know build up their coffers uh, so that they could actually continue to buy uh, weapons and arms that they did once Libya fell into chaos. Uh, Al Shabaab, uh, just an example of we were watching. <laughs> thousands of terrorists being trained in terrorist camps by al-Shabaab and we repeatedly went up the chain of command and asked please we've got to do something about this I mean they're out in the middle of nowhere there's no civilian casualties they're literally you know like the videos you see you know they're doing their graduation ceremonies of of you know the al-Qaeda clearly al-Qaeda affiliated training camps uh, and these guys are going to go harm our interests in the region and they certainly don't want to just put up white picket fences you know they want to uh, you know, they want to continue to build uh, the caliphate and grow and, and take down the West. And, we, you know, we, we tee up um, potential operations and they just repeatedly, nope, it's not in our national interest, not a problem. Uh, it's not, we, you know, we don't care about it. Uh, this is a regional issue. And now you see what's going on with the students in Kenya and the mall. I mean, these are the same assholes. <laughs> Excuse me. <my language. laughs> oh. I was not the first to swear I'm for sorry. Sorry. <laughs> These are the same guys who said that, you know, we're inspiring people to go after, you know, the balls of This is Al-Shabaab. Let people know, oh, what's Al-Shabaab? And I'm telling you, 2008, 2010, we watched these guys. These, uh, likely some of the graduate from these camps that we knew about and let go because we failed to take military action. And I agree, this is a generational threat, and we've got to counter the ideology, but we got to kill a lot of them too. And so, coming from a military background, you are not going to convert these guys into Boy Scouts uh, or Boy Scout leaders. Uh, we, no kidding, I mean, I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but we would, no kidding, sometimes identify some leaders in East Africa, Al-Qaeda, uh, that, you know, had gone underground, but then they popped up again that were responsible for the 1998 bombings in Africa. And we would, as many of you may know, intelligence comes together usually at a moment in time maybe that you haven't expected it to. You've been working it for many, many years, and then somebody, you know, somebody finally pops, and then you're able to get the human or the SIGIN or whatever that you've got them. You've watched the pattern of life, and there they are. And we would tee up, like, we need to go get this guy. And uh, repeatedly, it was like, well, we, they were involved in the 1998 bombings, but what have they done lately? You know, like, are you kidding me? You know, they're not, you know, again, they're not teaching Sunday school, you know, I mean, they're responsible for the death of Americans and, and uh, others in Africa. But it was very frustrating to see the short-sightedness as this threat was growing and metastasizing. So we are in, I think, the most uh, complex and dangerous world uh, that I've lived in, uh, and I've been doing national security for, for 30 years. So it's an absolute honor to be on this committee uh, as one of nine border districts. I'm also on the border and maritime uh, subcommittee. So I think it's just an absolutely important issue for our public safety. We've got these cartels, transnational criminal organizations that are trafficking uh, through my communities into your communities. And so this is a national threat. Uh, it's very serious. Uh, it's, it's not just an immigration issue. It is a public safety issue with the drugs and the weapons and the money and the, uh, the human trafficking that's happening you know, in our community. So it was great to be able to bring, I really appreciate the chairman uh, organizing that court, uh, CODEL, to bring uh, over 20 members of Congress down to the border to see firsthand what we're dealing with in southern Arizona. So very important. Uh, the subcommittee I chair is Emergency Preparedness, Response, and Communications. And so we've got uh, oversight. Uh, there's a difference, as, as I'm learning, between uh, legislative oversight and just you know legislative authority and oversight authority. So we have a broad oversight of FEMA and under DHS, the Offices of Emergency Communication and the Office of Health Affairs. Uh, so far, we've had a couple of visits uh, you know, to just uh, interact with the leaders of each of those. Uh, organizations. We've had one hearing on the threat of chemical terrorism, and next week we're going to have a hearing on the threat of uh, bioterrorism. 
Uh, I worked for Senator Kyle back in 1999 to 2000 on uh, terrorism uh, you know, issues. And I'll tell you, the threats that we were looking at back then to include cyber, you know, the, the, the complex threats of an asymmetrical strike where someone could maybe use a chem attack or a dirty bomb or, you know, something that was really sort of low tech, uh, combined with a cyber attack uh, to potentially take down the, you know, the uh, public safety, communications infrastructure and those types of things, the electrical grid. I mean, those are the things that we were looking at as serious threats back in 1999 and 2000. And uh, quite frankly, we've not done a whole lot in order to uh, move things forward in those areas, and so this cybersecurity bill is a really important bill to be to be addressing that. And, and look, these are difficult threats uh, for any anyone serving the military here. So anybody, any veterans? So I mean, you know, you know, we deal with the chemical threat. And we exercise all the time. I mean, even being an A10 pilot, every time we exercise, it's how to operate and fly and conduct operations in a chemical environment. So we're constantly training on. No kidding, diving into ditches, donning on all your equipment, how are you going to decontaminate, how are you going to continue to operate? It is not intuitive. <laughs> and so one thing that we learned even in that last hearing from those who could be out there anywhere in the country, health officials and others that might be on the front lines, first responders dealing with a chem attack, I mean, how to make sure that you can detect, respond, and decontaminate. I mean, we had to do it, you know, no kidding, once a month in exercises as a whole base in order to make sure we knew all those procedures. And so if we're just expecting our first responders to figure that out uh, where they're not given the resources and the continuity and the best practices uh, to be able to do that right. Uh, we've got definitely a vulnerability there. So we talked a lot about that in that last hearing and uh, as I mentioned next week we'll be talking about bioterrorism. So it's an absolute honor to, to be serving on this, uh, this committee and serving in this Congress after 1,049 days of campaigning. Uh, and 167 vote landslide victory. So I uh, appreciate your, your uh, coming out today. Thanks for the opportunity and I look forward to your questions.